0: Music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with
1: Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield back once again with the Hivecast. And today I have on a disc jockey that I really respect for a lot of reasons, and I'm very happy to have him here. It's Jonathan Tobin. Now, Jonathan has been spinning doing New York Night Train, which is this incredible scene all over the country, but based originally out of New York City, and uh, where he spins all vinyl, all vinyl 45s, plays great old rock, R&B, soul, rockabilly, just a little bit of everything, really. And, you know, he's also got this really cool thing called Soul Clap and Dance Off, which we'll talk about, too. And there's bunch of dates coming up as well. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast man. Good to hey, see you. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Nice to see you. Really good to have you. You know, I, I wanted to talk to you. But are you from here originally? From no,
0: region? no, I'm a Texan. You're a Texan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. What what town are you from in well, Texas? Well, I'm originally from Houston and then Austin and then here, yeah.
1: So you must, um, do you ever check out any of the old, like, Texas psychedelic garage stuff? Like oh, Bubble yeah. Puppy and all My
0: of? stepdad gave me the first two Elevators albums. Oh, 15 oh. and uh, Yeah, and some other stuff, not as a song, like Fever Tree or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, like, but 13-floor
1: elevators, you're going to miss me and all those great stuff. Oh, God, I can't
0: like... believe that. Yeah, I mean, I was buying, like, Jimi Hendrix and stuff, and he was like, you should hear this. I was like, ooh. Yeah. I mean, Jimi Hendrix still great, too, but, you know. Yeah,
1: but there's, but it's good to even hear that stuff, too. And oh,
0: just, man, yeah. No, I, like no. Moving Texas,
1: sidewalks, who became like, ZZ Top and all that crazy yeah, stuff. Man,
0: I can't believe how good all that is. And I still, the funny thing, I still find all this weird... Texas, you know, people always talk about Memphis or, you know, New Orleans and Detroit, which they should. It's great music meccas. But Texas, it was... It's more spread out, but I always find like a bizarre record. I'm like, what is like Jimmy Heap's Gizmo, some strange record? <laughs> yeah. in, what is this weird record, and where does it come from? And half the time, the culprit is Texas.
1: Yeah, and you, there's, there's a lot of great music coming out of there over the years. Yeah. And Austin's still a great town, of course. Now, um, when did your interest in music start? As a young kid, and when did... I mean, I know, because one thing we even in common is I have thousands of 45s. Yours are probably in better shape than mine, because uh, I beat the uh, crap out of my I moved hundreds of times. <laughs> and I used to play them on bed record players as a little boy. But, um, you know, I love 45s. I just do. There's something magical about, you know, the, the wider grooves on a vinyl single. It's louder. The minute you drop it, the song is the song that you're going to hear, you know, and there's something magical. When that, the groove that... goes out, it, it's done. <laughs> I've been trying to explain it to people for so long because people always
0: think, you know, when you have records or something that you're putting on some show or some, you know, what I mean, I'm like, no, actually, I mean, and pragmatically speaking, I was so excited when mp3s came out because I was sort of transitioning around and moving a lot and, and you didn't have to pay for it. But when I started DJing, I, I uh, it wasn't so bad to play. Like if I didn't have a record, I'd play the mp3 or CD. The problem would be when you'd follow it up with like some thrift shop forty-five, nothing that you even thought about, and then when you have to go back again, it made everything seem so San. tiny and weird. And it's you can only—I mean, if all you hear is one thing all night, your ears get used to it. But when you put one up against the other, it's always something where it's like it's just this giant tone. Yeah. And and I'm so sad too that people. I mean, we now have these amazing sound systems and. You know, not too many people put those through there. And yeah. when you do it really that's why I don't like mixes too. I I don't want you to hear it on the earbuds or like a little MP three yeah. of a record. I want people to come in and like feel the Feel the bass. Yeah. Feel like the oh. feel
1: like the you know the mid range of the sound, you know, and the hi hats hear the hear the snare you snap. No, you can hear
0: the, the cymbal like ring yeah. out, which you can't you know, that's yeah. the one thing with digital is they yeah. cap the highs. So yeah, you can't I'm- hear like a symbol or a snare sound like one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love technology. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that my iPod, I get to travel with 24,000 songs, and I really, like, whatever I want to hear, you know, it used to be, I remember flying and sitting next to that actress, Monica Potter, Potter. you know, when CDs, I thought were, about, you know, we finally got right. CDs, and opening this giant packet of them, and I like go all over her. She was, at least she was very kind about it, and she was she was nice. She's like, oh, you know, my boyfriend's a huge fan of yours. It was before she dated Adam Duritz, I think it was a while before, but. But I was just thinking about the vinyl thing, and so you discovered that. That was your thing. At first, you were younger, so you... you, Well, no,
0: I mean, I started... I was a kid, I had vinyl and everything, and I still... I always worked... You know, I worked at record stores and college radio and stuff, but so I became more of an adult musician guy or whatever. I never... I just traveled around a lot, and I didn't really buy a lot of records. I mostly... You know what I mean? And when I... Like I said, the technology came to steal music. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and do all that. I thought, oh, this is great. I can just have everything, and you know... Like I said, and it does make it where it's less special when you have all of that stuff, you know, and then you have to pick. Like, you know, I don't know how someone with like a big iTunes library decides. I mostly see people just shuffle these things, which it's kind of cool because it gives you the most random
1: mix. That's, yeah. yeah. But I'm like the same way. I'll, I'll be spinning through it because I have so much in my iPod. And I, so I love, you know, there's things that I love, obviously, this podcast people are listening to because of the technology of the internet, and, and so that much I love. But but I do, there's still that warmth, because, you know, I grew up on vinyl of the sound. And, and so when you well, DJ... Okay,
0: one, one sec though, before you ask me this, I was going to say, with the technology, one thing I, I'm concerned about, if technology brings you, for instance, like with freeze-dried and frozen food that, in the 50s and 60s, if technology makes you able to distribute something for cheaper and and people to be able to consume it for a, a lower price and it's more convenient, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better technology. And I was thinking, you know, I read that interview with Neil Young where he said that he and Steve Jobs would sit and listen to records because the inventor of the iPod hated, you know, MP3s and CDs. And I, <laughs> That's I was, the greatest story, is <laughs> Well, apparently Neil Young's working on trying to get something digital. It sounds like that. But I think one thing about the mistake about technology is that people always think that it's a progression away from something towards something else and everything is moving forward when, in fact, people go down all these crazy roads and they go, oh, that was a bad idea. And then that's why we have antiquated things because, like, people look back at, you know, like I said, the food of the 50s and 60s or they look at, you know, Cinema Scope, or actually 3D is back, I guess. But, you know, what I mean, people think of these things where everyone imagined the whole world was going to change and follow this way. And people that sell you things... Of course, it's to their advantage to go. You need to get rid of all those records and buy the CD, and then the eight track, and the yeah. You know, someone has Dark Side of the Moon on like ten formats, but really, I you know the original record probably still sounds better. So if we're talking about technology and the supremacy of the actual thing, not the convenience or you know profit margin on an MP3, think about that. I mean, yeah. it's a lot higher profit margin. CD was the biggest markup ever. It cost them way less than vinyl but you know they like uh yeah you know so i'm just wondering sometimes when i play these things i don't want to be i don't care really about retro culture or anything for me it's a higher form of technology because
1: it sounds better it does i mean that's how i feel about the sound that's i agree it's warmer and there's and then after djing and i djed in the clubs for playing vinyl like 13 years you know and um had to lug all that really heavy right. 12 inches and 7 inches around. Or got friends to carry them, you know, and help me carry those, those are good boxes friends. In. Those yeah. are really good <laughs> friends, man, because it's their backs, too. And mine. But, yeah. uh, you know, but 45. So when did you start collecting? From the time you were a kid, did you still have stuff? Or did you just decide while you were traveling? You were in bands like Grandma and, you know, yeah, yeah. a bunch of bands. Did yeah. you pick up, up on the road?
0: Well, no. When I, I mean, when I was a little kid, I would buy any. I mean, there was Kiss. Yeah. And I bought all that stuff and joined the Kiss army and did all that. And then you know, you get older and and uh you know, in middle school I bought all these really embarrassing records and some decent things. But, you know, mostly when you're about 11 or 12 you buy what they tell you to buy. It's your job and that's how a lot of, you know, particularly bigger bands get by. And and then, you know, but once you turn like 13, 14 you find out what punk is or like I said psychedelic music or yeah, the blues or and and you know, I feel that radio in the late 80s Mid to late 80s was so bad that it sent a lot of younger people on a journey to find what later was called indie rock or, you know, and, and, yeah, hardcore yeah. music. And, you know, but like there was so much because the the mainstream was so it was actually a lot a mirror of uh, what happened in post-war America where the mainstream ignored everything. But like if it's going to sell 10 million copies or if not, we don't want it. So we had all the Black Flag and Minor Threat and Dead Kings. We had the reissues of Blues. We had all these different things to buy if you didn't. I mean, you had to look a little harder for it, but if you didn't want to listen, it was on the radio. It was very, very. A lot of people actually made quite a living and there were quite networks, you know, of people able to sustain one another, you through know, without like, the mainstream. Yeah, like through fanzines yeah. and just through yeah. your
1: know, word of mouth and shows, yeah. live shows, and, you know, getting their records out. And black flag and bands like that that were part of that punk scene, yeah. the so, American punk scene. So where. yeah,
0: and the record stores too. I mean, that's what I, I miss record I'd stores. I spend my
1: time at those places, and that's
0: where you learn. I mean, it wasn't like getting the recommendation from all music. If you like you two, yeah. you might like Coldplay. Or something. It, it was the sort of thing where, and for a while in the early '90s, I worked at... Did you ever go to the Sound Exchange in in Austin? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I worked at that one on the corner of Twenty First and Guadalupe in the early '90s, and uh. I mean, there was a culture around that, this culture around college radio, cause, yeah. and, and I was really depressed. I went to Houston last time, and finally the the radio station where I first heard, like, you know, Velvet Underground or the Minutemen, and all that, KTRU, it uh, it pretty much got shut down for the, you know, I mean, there is not a, a lot of those places where people could, I mean, you have access to more stuff, but you don't really have. You know, someone who knows about saying, "Hey, check this out." And yeah, that was, uh, I mean, the
1: peer to peer is the way it's uh, you know goes online. But it was really, you know, it was face to face. Someone would go to you, "Hey, you should check this out." You'd look at it. Sometimes you'd look at a record, and just a cover would make you buy it.
0: No, or at college radio, I play a song. Sometimes someone call you and go, "What the heck? Do you remember that ever?" Yeah. Like, what What did you just play? Yeah, people would go. Yeah, exactly. Because you didn't funny.
1: have to talk except once an hour. <laughs> <laughs> See, I t- it depended on which DJ you were, right? Because oh, yeah. you can imagine that I talked quite a bit yeah, on there. Oh, yeah. Well, I played. I would never. Uh, when I was in college radio, I would just play f- like at least four songs in a row before I would talk. You know, because I would I wanted to give people the chance. I love it
0: too when they would talk. This is even if it was an animated person. You know, they get on college radio and be like, "Hello, you were listening to <laughs> KTSB Austin." That was. <laughs> toed the wet sprocket before that we
1: heard you know yeah and then they get off and they tell hey what's yeah. it? You know, like, i don't know so yeah it's just it's like it's so bored true.
0: college guy yeah was.
1: yeah it's got to do he's trying to fit in with with the, with the rest of the people at the station i guess yeah but, but
0: you, i gave up all that i i mean i started playing bands and traveling and working and doing all this stuff and hey you
1: played in new brunswick or i was doing the scene you played at court <laughs> tavern right yeah
0: but i mean you know i just kind of records weren't as important to me and uh it wasn't until uh the mid 2000s, I started a, a little label in an internet magazine, and it's kind of helping. You remember Kid Congo? Yeah, of course. He's amazing, and uh, he you know he was in the Cramps and the Gun yeah, he was Club, in gun club but I'm he has like, a yeah. great band called the Pink Monkey Birds, and i has been doing for years. And I, you know, I, actually it was funny. I when uh, when Graham Mal got dropped and all that, I got worried, and I got a uh, I got a web design certificate, and I, but I didn't really have any clients because the internet thing kind of shut down right when I got it, and I. <laughs> That kid was this, you know, I was in awe of him, you know, but he was a guy I knew, you know, and I I helped him make his website and I thought, it's like, man, you need to tell everyone all these things about, like, a lot of people listen now to, like, the cramps or the gun club or something or the bad seeds. They don't even know that it's you.
1: Right, exactly. Because it's
0: not like the old days where you stare at the back of Tinder Prey and see kids picture in the corner or the, you know, the back of- Kid
1: Congo Powers, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So
0: So I did this oral history with them and- we ended up putting out the records on the label and made this whole thing. And because of that, I did a, a record release show. It's so random and weird. But I did it, and uh, Ian Svanonius was involved in it from, you know, Makeup, nationless he's all that, yeah. Chain of the Gang. So he yeah. called me up. He was happy with how I did this record release show. And he asked that I put on a DJ gig for him and Calvin Johnson. You know, Beat Happening and yeah. you know, all that, Dub Narcotic and K. So I put on a gig for them, two nights. And just DJ gigs and I went into Motor City where by the way it's closing I was there last night you mean Motor City's closing down Yeah 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 that's uh, why I'm so hung over today
1: Oh cuz I'm I remember shooting like the when MTV2 was M2 and it was actually videos all the time like 120 and it was that was kind of the template for it We shot at Motor City a bunch of times during the day they'd open up and we'd hang out in there
0: which, No it's the best it's, it's the great. best rock and roll bar in the world in my opinion but last night at midnight the uh, lease expired and within a month or two they're not certain it's going to be –
1: you're going to have a hard time finding uh, rock and roll places in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, too, because, you know, that place has been there a long time. It's on the Lower East Side, and, you know, real estate is forcing a lot of great legendary places out. Not
0: just real estate, but culture is going away, and that's the main thing is, like, Manhattan, even though it was always expensive, it always had these uh, inexpensive pockets for artists. And all. I mean, I have to tell you, but the thing is, is the new culture in there, it's not like the new rich people are – whatever. I don't know their income brackets, but you know, whoever they are, they don't care for uh, that type of thing. I've, you know, I'm a DJ. I get invited to do stuff. I go to things. I mean, people, they're really suburbanizing. I mean, people really, you can go to a cool underground place and they're, they're playing Beyonce. So I was like, you should go back. Like I told a girl that do it. this girl came up and requested that for me. I was trying to be nice and she kept bothering me. I was like, look, you know, I came to New York cause I like this unique culture and people discovering things. And if you want to hear mall music, you don't need to be here. You can go, like, you go to Houston, where I was raised, you know, like, go to the mall in the suburbs and hear Beyonce there. You know, you don't need to be... But these people, I mean, they want this sort of, like, non-adventurous suburban mediocrity inside, though, this sort of thing that looks like sex in the city to them or whatever. I don't know what they view it as. But I feel like Motor City doesn't have a place in an environment like that, you know, unless... There's, you know, oh, we're, let's slum it and go in this funky place. But that doesn't build culture. That just means someone walked in for a minute for like a novelty. For novelty, and, yeah. And let's laugh at the people with their, you know, tattoos or, yeah. what, you know, and yelp about it.
1: Yeah. But you've, I mean, you've built around the country, Jonathan, yeah. one of the biggest followings. I mean, you're one of the most, you know, def- definitely one of the most well-liked DJs. Because people love the fact that you play all the 45s. Well, no, there's smart people still out there. That's what I I keep (laughs) trying –
0: I've been trying to prove a point. I mean, Motor City, like I said, got my start there. They let this guy who was just some guy in a band that had a record label DJ because DJing became such an easy thing. And they they put – and I would – my guests were all like – my first guest at Motor City was uh, Bob Burt, you know, Sonic Youth and uh, Pussy Galore and all that. Then I had Gibby Haynes the next week. I've called up musician guys I know, thinking I'd like to see what music they're into.
1: So you'd have butthole surfers, Gibby Haynes, and then like No Gallagher, Scarlett Johansson. No, and those no. people oh, oh well, those people
0: just—I would, would mean, out. Motor City always—that's the one place where famous people can come and no one takes a picture and puts anything up. You know, the funny thing that we had a uh, Lindsay Lohan in there, and I'm embarrassed—I didn't recognize who that was, but I, I know her name. I just didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't recognize her, and uh, Nobody cared though. People, some people were going, "Oh, that's Lindsay Lohan. but nobody made a big deal. But she walked outside to smoke a cigarette and fell down or something. And then all these people took all these pictures, and it went into these. And that we were getting calls like from the paparazzi and stuff to, "What was she drinking?" Or was she? And no, nobody would say anything. That's or anything. so cool
1: that you guys protected her privacy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares at that place. But that's the opposite of like all these other. And to be honest. I mean, I'm nothing against her, but I don't know her work. I've never seen one of her movies. I'm not impressed or unimpressed, but I am impressed with the, the people that people there are cool enough not to care, and the people on the streets, you know, are uncool enough, like, anywhere else to be like, the, you know, she vultures. Girl, she's having her time. She's out partying, and she fell down for a second. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's in a... Anyway, but that's what I really respect about that culture, and also what I do respect is that, I mean, yeah, they gave me this opportunity... There, you could just sit and play. I played all those Texas punk records nobody knows, and no one cared. You know, and then every now and then, I started learning. You know, I get invited to do dance parties, and that's how I got to do the soul thing, because I was trying to figure out something that really rocked and was unique.
1: Is there, that how Soul Clap and Dance Off started? That's yeah.
0: Something. I mean, I well, I tried also. I was, I really started, as I started buying records again, I really, like I said, I really love those 45s. But at Motor City, you know, I tried that there once, and the, People they don't really dance there, and it's in they you know they rather rather have a different kind of sound. So uh, I ended up kind of randomly putting on a night. Well, the first is that one, the
1: shaking all over under sideways down night. Oh well, that, that's a whole other story. But because <laughs> yeah. I love, I just have to say <laughs> when you put two of those cool singles together, which is the Johnny Kid and the Pirates, right? Yeah. Guess who did it too, and the Who. But shaking all over, right? And you combine the title with "Over Under Sideways Down" by the Yardbirds, one of my favorite songs. I had this single when I was a little boy.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, I love so both cool. the titles, and they sound wild. And I when like you put the them long together. Name. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a great name. I was, I saw that. I thought how clever and cool that name was. Oh, because it stands for the music too that you play as well. It also kind of gives you an idea of what you're going to hear well, when you come in. Well, I started compartmentalizing
0: because so those parties have different type of music. Because I mean, basically, it's all rhythm and blues based, but. I mean, I'm one of those people, if you look at it, I mean, rockabilly or doo-wop with a beat and early, like, rock and blues, and a lot of it's kind of the same thing. All the English bands cover the same stuff. I mean, not the same thing, but the chord progressions, the beats, you know, a lot of the rhythms, they're, they're not that different than one another. And like I said, it's funny when the English guys found it, like, they you they sell like, it back like, to us <laughs> uh, well or like a early rolling stones album be like oh it's a buddy holly song and it's a it's a you know Slim holly song Slim Harpo
1: like, song it's like you know it's like a uh, yeah, chuck berry a, chuck berry of course yeah. and route 66 and yeah. i just want to make love to you and all those songs No, they right put there. all all these different things together cuz to
0: them i just like that commonality between these things that rock and have this beat that sound like train tracks and uh you know like in on the 45s the, not the repros but the original 45s like once you put down like a real Chuck Berry 45 and you hear that, there's something about that highness of, of the guitar. Like, and even. Like, Maybelline is one of those songs ah, dude, that's Yeah, so if you hear the one with the silver yeah. chest, not the later one, man. Yeah. You know, I, I recently, it's so funny. I wasn't, I didn't care that much about this Muddy Waters song, 40 Days and 40 Nights. Well, yeah. I mean, I liked it, but, you know, and I had it since high school on a real folk blues LP comp. But I was in Detroit and I found one, and, uh, and I just put it down as my little thing. and you know, Man, the dynamics are just so crazy on the forty five. Like it's just like it's seriously like being in the room with Little Walter and Muddy Waters and All the Jimmy Chess Rogers. Guys. It's like, yeah, it's crazy the presence on that record, but so I want Friday to be like that kind of thing, you know, where it's this sort of like roots of American music, but sort of the British interpretation of in and the American garage bands copying the Brit like sort of a room full of mirrors. Like it's sort of a postmodern party, even though it's rooted in fifties, sixties. It's like uh Basically, all these people playing off of one another, which people, you know, with these decades and these, like, people are like, hey, Matt Finfield, it's the night, I love the 90s. Like, and now everyone likes the 60s, but really, there's not a time, anyone who thinks with decades, I mean, it's for marketing people. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. But really, there's this time that's just everything. It's the present, it's great stuff. And all these people just listening to one another. I love that America had this weird mix of people and they're just, all copying each other. Every song there's fifty versions and they're all from different people digging on things that they're not supposed to like. Yeah, exactly. You know, like and their interpretation of yeah. them, right? Yeah. yeah. I read this interview with Muddy Waters and he was sort of like saying, Yeah, we, we you know, when he was in Mississippi, before he was in Chicago, he's like, Oh yeah, we you think he's sitting there playing this deep He's like, no, we had to play Chattanooga Choo Choo. <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, people little really, Glenn Miller. People were a lot more worldly and also radio formats were just a lot more diverse. It wasn't like if you had a station in Mississippi somewhere. It wasn't that they play you know all these different things. You'd you'd have to endure how much is the doggy in the window probably, but
1: yeah, next to uh, an Elvis song, or yeah, like that, or uh, blue, yeah, or you know Chuck Berry or whatever, yeah, yeah. So that
0: night, I want I want it to be like that sort of feeling and real bare bones and the soul clap. Like I said, it it's become this. Re- I actually I wish that you come one day. I I have um I play the records all night during the contest. I always get someone to pick seven songs, and usually one of my musician friends or whatever. And uh, you know, people put these numbers on, and I all night I play just music. You know, people have never heard, but it's basically my life is discovering stuff. And the soul clap is more; it's a little funkier. It's sixty soul, a little more dance beats. Things
1: I, like the Parliament, so I want to testify. Or yeah, yeah, kind
0: of like that, but a, a lot of <laughs> earlier R and B than that too. And uh, but this sort of like real heavy drum beat and this sort of bouncy bass lines and. Uh, you know, and and so that one, basically, I just found all these ways that, particularly, I a lot of people play soul music from forty fives actually around the world. But I come from, I'm an alien to that. I come from this weird, well, actually, more not really mainstream, but this other underground culture where there's DJs and they do. But you know, I get stuck on these bills. Like when I started playing dance music, after these rave guys and after you know, and I felt kind of weak. You know, like my beats and all this stuff. So I started pursuing for a while just the fastest hardest craziest drum beats so if I went on after some guys playing justice or whatever you know that I could still be like
1: koom, koom,
0: koom. Yeah. but with my own version and with you know those drums from the records which like I said they sound really mighty if you do it right and uh, I've slowed down since then and I'm more I'm I got more of a groove but
1: I, you're saying back then it was like some of the real fast. Like you no, know, I like, wanted to be the punk of, yeah. of like you know and and, he, things like love is like an itch into my heart, kind of like that yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Actually Supremes. love that. Isn't it,
0: like a great tune. That's my favorite one of theirs, man. <laughs> it's so great, isn't it's it? It's Teutonic. It's it Wagnerian. Is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is great.
0: But uh, yeah, it's no, perfect. I so so yeah, I just so that came out. But these were all like I said with very small experimental things in mind, like like the actually shaking all over started out as ants in your pants dance party. Yeah, and I and. And that came out of the success of Soul Clap and uh, these happenings I were doing, which I was trying to make this sort of, when I was in graduate school, I I went to graduate school in the early 2000s because I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, after September eleven, yeah. and all that, I couldn't get work. And it was sort of, you know, but I studied all these, basically I started working a lot with downtown culture and early hip hop culture was my forte. And it was really interesting to read these guys at Club 57, you know, and, and later they did Irving Plaza and all that. And those those, you know, the Ann Magnuson and Klaus Nomi yeah. and like, you know, this is a really strange yeah. crowd of people and some people I know actually were involved in it. And uh, you know, they they everything would be a theme. They they just come up with funny stuff and all decorate and do, and so we had this party where you know, exploding plastic inevitable, you know, this total like the <laughs> like underground Andy Warhol. Well, I don't know. You picture when you go to New York like you see that scene in Midnight Cowboy whether it's something like that, before you move here, you think you're going to go to these cool, unusual things with visuals and, you know, weird performance and all that. And you come to New York and it's kind of like underwhelming, I guess. And so we were trying to experiment with that, which, you know, I still sometimes do that. But I, I got with this art gallery I knew and we just, we'd be like, all right, it's the French Revolution. And we, we'd we build guillotines and we'd have <laughs> peasants and, and, you know, er, you know aristocracy and like, you know, and everybody would be wearing these powder wigs and Uh, We'd be playing French pop, it'd be Bastille Day, you know. Yeah. So that, and then the soul clap, which was, like I said, uh, just this humble thing where it's like, I'm just going to play these records in one place together for my friends and we'll have a dance contest. And that ended up just turning into this thing beyond my own perception where people just, I guess, you know, people watch a lot now and people are really conditioned to, even at a show, they have these screens where you watch the band on like you're watching on tv and you know people don't really experiment with involving just dancers or people you know people like dancing because they're actually a part of the show in a dance contest you're really the show you know and i get these judges from the community and i just get my friends to be like all right you're a distinguished
1: judge i gotta come in and pick seven
0: songs for you one yeah i gotta gotta do that you gotta do it man but yeah, it's so great just getting your friends to be like, "Here's our distinguished panel," and the panel's only distinguished because it's all <laughs> the people from Williamsburg that we know. Like, <laughs> it's not—it's no one. And so we would just do that every month, and people would just—it just got immediately popular, and people, you know, loved one just trying to outdance each other and play around, and the and the judges liked it. And then one day I got a call from uh, my agent, and she was like, "They—they they were like, oh yeah." This Canadian festival wants you to do the soul clap there. I'm like, oh, I can't do the, the soul clap out of town. You know, it's a New York, it's neighborhood thing. And she's like, well, you know, they give you like twice as much money if you. Do. And I'm like, oh, I could do it out of town. And, then, <laughs> and and I started doing it, and I realized, and it's something that I never realized. If you're a touring DJ, you know, these guys come on, and they're just projecting outward. There, some places they even put like a headlining DJ up in one of those '90s towers or. So, you know, and the, but they're not with people. It's sort of like this fascist spectacle. You know, like the yeah. fur is up there. And he is speaking, yeah. You know, and <laughs> and they're not involving people. And in a uh, the soul clap was so weird because you pull in and you have seven people from whatever. And sometimes it'll be someone like Mike Watt or someone like Whoa or, you know, one of my heroes. And sometimes it's someone I don't know, but people. They're all involved because those are your judges. You and know? so, go, cool. you and,
1: have Mike Watt up there. Oh, uh, we have. An old friend of mine, too. Who else? Like, tell me about some of the other people who've DJed with you, too. You mentioned Gibby. You mentioned. Oh, man. man right, every uh, Everybody, man. I, you know, I'm just running this off a list so people know when they hear something. I'm of trying to them. think who I've had. Um, John Spencer, David Johansson. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've had.
0: Those guys are actually pretty good with records, too. They're really amazing. But, yeah, I mean, but it's still been really organic. It's yeah. I've mostly had my friends. And then sometimes if. Some, yeah, Jello o Biafra or someone like that, you know,
1: like, yeah. real music head, man. And, uh, totally cool. I got to ask you, you mentioned you, you were going to call it the Ants in Your Pants Party. Were you thinking like Ants, Ants in My Pants by, like, James Brown kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know a song I love by James Brown? It's Lickin' Stick, oh, Lickin' yeah. and Stick Part One. Mama, water. come here quick. <laughs> lickin' Stick. It's so great, you know isn't what it? I, I, so, well, I
0: found out, too, you know, it's so funny because <laughs> when I, when I heard, heard that, I don't know why, but I assumed immediately that it meant... You know,
1: it meant, it meant oral sex. Yeah, but but <laughs> the, it's
0: really you know like a you know the licking stick what, was about going out and getting a stick to beat someone with, which you know like when I don't know if you know anyone from the country or whatever, but it's it's a normal thing. Like a lot of my Texas friends still go, all right, go out there and get a switch, you know, and you have to go get a switch, and your parent <laughs> the parent beats you.
1: Oh my but, God, Mama! Come here quick and bring that yeah, licking stick. Yeah, lick stick so Somebody's lick, gonna get licked. Meaning, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when they said, "I'm gonna lick that guy," they meant they're gonna yeah. beat you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's, <laughs> about, it's
0: about the kind of punishment you, you know.
1: Because I always thought that's anymore. what James Brown was talking about. I mean, I just immediately assumed. you No, know? when anyone hears it, they think that. I'm sure the double entendre was not
0: lost on him. Yeah, I don't think so. Because <laughs> all all music was, uh, you know, that's the other thing is that people couldn't say things they came up with more creative ways i mean think really like work with
1: me Annie, and all those yeah, old soul rock and, rock
0: and roll and R&B is just like a million ways
1: there's a million to sexual, sexual innuendos <laughs> exactly.
0: yeah in a society that that wasn't you know permissible so especially back then yeah. you know
1: that's why they they wondered why you know when these british bands came over or elvis you take elvis or like anybody like that the beatles they said that there wasn't a you know there wasn't a moist panty in the place, and that was because they were so held back, I think you know what i mean yeah. from from sexuality, so people found another way to find it in lyrics didn't they they, oh, in they, every, they in the it. whole experience you know that's what I
0: really uh wish was still <laughs> yeah. with music today I, I mean yeah. it, it sounds sort of like a nightmare, like when you read Keith Richard's book, you know, and he's talking about how they had to run from the little girls all the time and they were vicious
1: and they tear their clothes off. Yeah. You know. you know,
0: dig into their skin. But there's something really <laughs> exciting to me about that hormonal thing yeah. from the period between Elvis and the Beatles era where just these restrained young people just you know, it's so hard for me when I hear one of these I mean, I like Elvis and everything, but you know, compared to a lot of the other stuff back then, you know, you hear one of his songs likes great, but when you hear anyone that was a young person at that time mentioning in a you know, any kind of oral history or something, seeing Elvis on television and Nineteen fifty-six or something. They, yeah, there's something about whatever it was that they weren't getting. Yeah, that he was providing that was just making people go insane. And that's that's kind of yeah. what
1: I was saying about Elvis and the Beatles. You know, I was saying because there was actually, you know, a writer there was an expose done and that he made that comment about moist wet panties and you know. People peeing themselves because they were so excited. You know, they were, whether it was sexual or nervousness, whatever it happened to be. But it's true, they weren't getting it. So there's that period. And I mean, look how safe the music was in between Elvis and the Beatles. When Elvis went into the army, then you had Bobby Rydell and Fabian and Frankie Avalon. I mean, the British invasion had to come. You know, well, I mean? the other thing that's crazy is that the black people
0: were still making great music in that period. They were. And, and a lot of rock and roll guys. I really love when the uh, twist. Became a part of like rockabilly, for instance, you know, yeah, because the twist beat just made for someone like me who deals with beats. Suddenly, I have all this rockabilly that can really play on the dance floor because it has
1: this, yeah, kind of like you know, Johnny yeah. Dorsey Burnett, you told things like that, yeah, and yeah, Eddie but, Cochran, I, yeah like all
0: those guys, you know, like they all when they entered that era, it just sounded amazing, or even like Little Richard when he started his career up in the 60s, or Chuck Berry when he got out of jail, like. Those guys were making such good stuff in the 60s. But the sad thing is they weren't hitting the charts like they were in the 50s. So the, the real thing, I think, with the Beatles and the Stones and all that was just that it brought it on to the, the mainstream charts. But really the crazy thing about music, sort of like just like today, like with people with the 90s last year. Yeah. People are all like, oh, you know, people are really getting into like Nirvana this year.
1: And, they're you know, I'm like,
0: wait, nobody ever stopped listening to that stuff.
1: Yeah. Like it's not, it's, it's like <laughs> people from the nineties never stopped working. They never stopped doing something no. the music, never stopped mattering. It's
0: people trying to sell you, like I said, they're trying to sell you to buy this other thing again or whatever, but people never stop buying good stuff, you know, and anyone from like, you know, particularly now with the web, everyone wants to convince you all the time that oh, everybody's doing this thing and they're all getting into this, this year. And it usually coincides with this weird synergy with a mixture of fashion and music and all these things, like I just got this thing from uh, the new museum and it was, I can't believe museums do this, but it was like the nineties and they had this thing, it had a Doc Martin and it had, but this is a reputable museum. It's not like a children's like project on the nineties or something, you know what I mean? And, it, and they're, they're having they have Doc
1: Martens in there. No, art,
0: the art world is so dumbed down, but they're, they're putting everything together. Basically, you know, these aesthetics, I mean, I don't even know if they're consciously trying to sell things. I don't it's know if it's a conspiracy or it's just a weird zeitgeist. Okay, I heard... Like this year, seriously, people already tell me 60s are coming in. And, you know, I should be excited because I thought the 60s or something. I'm like,
1: man... No, people never stop loving that music, obviously. No, I always tell people a
0: clock that doesn't work is right twice a day. But, you know, any clock that's a minute or two behind or forward, it's never on time. Yeah. So if you keep doing what you're doing, it's going to hit you either way. It's going to come back if you believe in what you are. But if you're trying... To
1: follow that thing, you're going to look stupid. You do, because if you, you, you've seen people do that over the years. So artists try to totally shift gears to follow something. Or with the industry, I used to see the record labels, where something would become big, and then they'd want to sign everything like it, chasing the industry chasing its own tail. Right. And you know what I mean? And what ends up happening is by the time they sign that artist, release that artist, try to chase the new big thing, something new is already going on. So that's, you know what I mean?
0: Think about, again, the 90s, that thing, you know, you have a lot of experience, and they everyone got excited, and then at a certain point, they signed everybody and then yeah. nobody's records that was underground or whatever sold. All the bands So they became, dropped all those bands. After Nirvana, yeah, those other bands were all like people that just became big sailors on the like Weezer or something. They that was a major label already, you know? Like so all those things that uh that were underground that they signed up ended up just going right back where it was. And all those people that were crowding the clubs, you remember how many people would go out like Around the grunge era, that you know, I'd see cheerleaders from high school at my emos in Austin or what you know, but they all left once it wasn't cool, and then it went right back to what it was,
1: you know. And that's where a lot of bands from that era stand, you know. And even in the punk bands, you know, who signed to a major for a while, you know, and you know, they recorded and they said, you know, like I'm just using Bad Religion as an example, who are now back on Epitaph again, you know, or. And there's many other bands who left for a while and then came back to their label. But they still have a fan base. But it's a fan base that's always loved them and are new young kids that are into that kind of music. No, but what it's called is just appreciation. Yeah.
0: People, you know, rock and roll is so weird because it's one of those things where, you know, it's all based on, on one end on this fandom. But on this other end, it's this weird thing where you're supposed to make everyone dislike the thing you just sold them. So they buy something else. But that doesn't have to do with appreciation. That has to do just with, you know, these weird market strategies. And which commerce. Think, that's
1: why every five minutes there's a new technology thing that's supposed to replace the last.
0: But it's dangerous because the thing that corporations don't understand, I think a lot of it has to do with quarterly earnings and that type of thing. They need to show up every, you know, quarter on the sheet that they gained some sort of profit. But it makes people not invest. Like, you know, in the old days they give a band a development deal. They have like – Four records or whatever and expect it not to sell at first. And you and, know. and
1: these bands would end up being, you know, that's the truth. It's more of a quick fix today. It's reaching for the lowest branch on the tree because of what you said, because of the quarterly earnings. Where back then they let it live as art and, you know, as music basically, as you said, signing an artist, waiting at least till the th- third album to see what happened. You know, that's why you wonder, I always use this example. Bruce Springsteen, would you have made Born to Run? He would have been dropped. Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic. I'm using these as examples. You know, The Cure, by the time they got to, like, you know, the head on the door. album or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's an example. Like, bands like The Cure and, you know. The the
0: other thing that's funny is if you look at the top grossing tours whenever people go out, I guarantee you it's not that stuff that they're throwing in the machine and spitting back out. You know, it's, it's those bands that people actually like their music and that people care about and they spent time selling. And if they looked at that model and made music based on, one, trying to make stuff sound good, which I don't think they're concerned about. Two, getting a medium that sounds good. Because the thing is with the disposability and going back to 45s, something that's mastered for MP3 and that, you know, have these guys, you know, living La Vida Loca was the first hit made on Pro Tools. Now you can make everything at home and whatever. You know, guys are doing the mix on the airplane, you see them? <laughs> making yeah. a mix. So, you know, <laughs> But you know what I mean? People not spending the time and not caring because they know it's just going to be thrown away and we need people to buy it really quickly. I mean, it's a whole philosophy going down to, to what I do and to everything. that's a, a lack of quality. And people, the sad thing about quality is that it really is something that people find and they like. And you can't just give people a bunch of garbage and then sell it to them, and make them throw it away over and over again without them thinking, man, I'm tired of this and people always laugh at me like they're always like oh god you know this guy makes a living playing these old weird songs people don't know and I'm like wait now I'm just playing stuff that I think is the best
1: yeah and it, it doesn't matter whether it, you know was number 100 on the chart number 10 on the chart or number yeah, you know what I mean no and I'm gonna search maybe,
0: to be honest if I didn't know it like this week I'll probably discover like 10 more things that I didn't know and I will be so stoked think of one of them is like supreme, life-changing thing that I didn't know existed, I'm still discovering stuff, whereas everyone else is going to be stuck, you know, in this other weird economy of, uh, like, did you see that thing for that hit night I'm doing? No, tell me about that. Okay, i am decided to do a night where I play only songs people have heard, <laughs> <laughs> which most DJs, that's all they do if you go out these days. Yeah. But I was thinking, man, but first of all, I want to do it because I realize what we we're talking about with the records. People hear all these records at my parties, but they don't know them. So they don't have a point of reference to know what, to already know the song
1: before and, oh wow, this is so much better. Because of the sound, because of the dynamic range of sound. Yeah,
0: but I was thinking like a a Motown record, like me, I didn't really realize how good Motown was until I bought those records. I think it was like how it sounds in my parents' car, even in, when I I tour, you know, I rent a car and it's just, it has no balls, but if you listen to the mastering on those uh, 45s from the 60s, it's very, they spend a lot of time and they're really powerful and it brings out things you like all the crazy percussive elements and yeah uh, man James Jameson, like all that like oh yeah it just, i mean they were what a great band yeah so i thought what, what if band. what if i could like do a night where you already know you know all these songs but you actually have never probably heard your favorite song i know it sounds like a crazy yeah. thing but people really if i say this to you now you'll be like oh yeah it's one of these Dumb, you know,
1: vinyl stuff. No, I wouldn't say, say that because I'm, I'm, i vinyl lover. No, but myself. a normal person would just yeah. be like, but
0: if I'm, I'm saying, if you really yeah. were able to hear one of those, mo- like, songs. like a
1: Motown, a CD or an MP3 of Love is like we mentioned that one Supreme song, which is yeah, so the powerful. 45
0: is so good at that.
1: Love is like an itch in my heart. It starts with that percussion yeah. that you were talking about, and that's funny because when you said that about standing up to the beat of a techno beat of something that's coming over digital. Right. And then playing, you could literally mix out of one of those beats into "Love Is Like an Inch in My no, Heart" and, and kill it. Yeah, you know? and you don't have to put that crappy <laughs> "doom doom
0: doom" yeah. that, that those guys do. I mean, because it's there already. Yeah. And the drums sound great, but they you know, nobody gets that. And the other thing I thought, I wanted to do it, and I wanted to figure a place. And the thing about Bowery, we've been talking about doing something together, but I, I haven't really had the right thing to give. And I thought Bowery Ballroom has such good sound. Like, that system is really pumping, and, uh, you know, the room sounds great. And I was thinking that would be the place, yeah. perfect place for you to hear, like, you know. And I actually tried it once. It was horrible. I One night, I, I tried to play hits. Where was it? Well, it was at Home Sweet Home, like, four, three or four years ago. They called me, and they're like, we're in trouble. This guy canceled. We have this Thursday night, and then what? You know, we don't have a DJ, and you want to, can you try to do it? So I actually came up with this concept then, and it was just a joke. Because I still, when I go on my record trips, I buy I buy cool jerk and all that if I see it or what well, you know, records I like, but I'm not gonna play because they're too obvious for what I do, you know? Yeah. So you know, but a great records. So I just did a night of that. And but and it was wildly successful. They called in another bar back and another bar back. last minute, like crazy night, but I found it very difficult on my end because the thing about playing obscurities, which no one has really thought about with this stuff, is but like if you go to a house party, I went my friend took me to see this house DJ. I don't really like house music, I admit, that much. But, I, you know, I'm open-minded. guy was great. It was a place called CeeLo on Meatpacking District. Yeah. Great sounding room. Great DJ. I Like I said, I didn't like the music that much. And I started asking people, you know, because they get real excited at these points. And I was saying, that's great. He's doing these breaks. Stuff. And nobody, actually, that I asked knew any of the material. They just liked the sound of the house music. And the DJ was good. So I started thinking with my own stuff, man, I just, all I need to do is,
1: Strategically play things with the beats, which is kind of hard with two minute forty fives. With well, it means you're really working. Yeah, yeah. It means you're. I mean, because you you got if you're thinking about what's the next thing that goes, and you're you're thumbing through your records quickly. I mean, and then you and then you want to match up the beats on your twelve hundreds or whatever you're using. You know, that's hard work. I mean, that's a DJ at work. It's very hard. And the (laughs) other thing is that
0: you 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 know, know you you always feel people out and you try to bring them somewhere, but if they don't know the songs, what's great is it becomes wallpaper, becomes ambiance. They get lost in it, and they just dance based on where you take them, and they trust you after a while, and you just, you know, you increase the energy, you decrease the energy. The same with the tempos. You stop things, you start things, and it, it becomes this relationship you have with people. But when you play these hits, the problem is everyone already has a preconceived notion. Like, you know, I play Oogum Boogum song, and people stand up, and it reminded them of that summer where, the, you know, the, this was on the mix. The, yeah. Their buddy gave them whatever. And then yeah. you play it like, you know, I don't know, Dragging the Line by Tommy James. Like, oh, yeah. my, my ex-girlfriend you whatever. But, you know, yeah. people are standing up and sitting down already based on hearing the first few bars of a song. Whether they like Dragging the Line or not by Tommy James. Right? People stand up or sit down based on what they already know. And so... Basically, I mean, part of why I quit playing hits anyway is like, I want something interesting for me and for you. Let's learn.
1: Yeah. You know? Keep it exciting. Yeah. Keep experiencing, like you said, and discovering.
0: Which yeah. Is and playing the hits with a cheap shot. And why I realize those DJs that play hits get stuck in that is that they have people are all basing it now on things they already know when it's hits. And if you try dropping the obscurities after that, like I'll always watch them do it. I'm like, okay, now I'll play one of my DJs. DJs have great taste. And, but, you know they'll they feel pull, stuck
1: in that situation. Yeah, but
0: they'll play they'll and they'll play one of their songs real quick like that they like and you'll see the floor and then they'll be like, all right Michael Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, and the okay. floor the floor will fill up again they're like you know, you know they have Michael Jackson ready for yeah. right after the So, I prefer the other method. This is I find it really hard to play hits and I uh, it's a foreign environment for me and it also like I said there are a million hits that are great songs and particularly well recorded, you know, for from the 60s. So, I look forward to playing it through that system, but what I don't look forward to is is trying to deal with people's preconceived notions of music, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because no, they, they don't get lost. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's a really interesting and, and, I think, an incredible philosophy because yeah. it definitely takes, you know, science thinking and really understanding the sound and finding good music that people will will be absorbed into. I mean, that's no, the that's art DJing, of it, yeah. isn't it? You know?
0: But playing a bunch of hits isn't DJing. It's, it's actually a, each song is a means to an end. And at the end of the song, that's the end of it. And the beginning of the next song is beginning. You never get people to go into the long narrative with hits. Yeah. And that's the sad. I mean, I want to play them more. But also, if you drop one hit, like if I one night, I'm feeling particularly nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I'll give them like, you know, I won't give them a shout. By the IZ Brothers, but I give them this cool version by Lulu and the Lovers.
1: Yeah. It's equally good. Or it's your thing or something. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody will be like,
0: and then the minute you play that, then people come up and go, Do you have Twist and Shout by the IZ Brothers? Do you have, you know, do you have <laughs> do you Mr. Have Postman? <laughs> yeah. Have... Because the minute that you play one and they taste a little blood, they realize, Oh God, maybe this guy's going to keep giving us all this great stuff we love. And I'm like, No, no, nothing good. <laughs> You're like, No, no. I mean, I, I love. I love to make people happy, but I keep thinking sort of like, you know, making people happy, like a kid happy with candy. It's like you're not going to have any, like, real reward from it. It's better to teach them how to like, you know, broccoli. Right,
1: exactly. (laughs) What's good for them? It's the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. This is the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. What do you think of the whole Northern Soul thing that was a phenomenon out of England? And did you ever find yourself playing stuff like Tainted Love, the original by Gloria Jones? You
0: know, like, yeah. I particularly, I drop that one at corporate events sometimes when things aren't working out for me.
1: Just so they, because they'll recognize the song and, and the riff, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but it is,
0: it's a unique enough record that, uh, you know, because it's a great, and, and I have an original one that's actually a promo. So the original's on styrene. Yeah. But the promo copies were actually on vinyl because the, yeah. they didn't want it to sound, I mean, that was horrible phenomenon where they, you know what styrene is? Yeah. Yeah, they make it this cheap, crappy stuff. But they would, the radio station's got the good stuff. So I got yeah. a radio copy. But yeah, man, the problem with Northern Soul, I mean, I personally, you know, it's a little smooth and nice for, I like that. I like a little that, edgier, right? Grittier. I like that dirty, dirty nasty down. American stuff. But, yeah. uh, you know, and I do love that English appreciation has defined an American genre. Right. Because <laughs> it's, it's
1: American records they're playing. Well, now.
0: not only like that, but all these Americans, you know, it's funny, particularly during the
1: 90s and... Oh, and even the early the early eighties, the people that followed the mods, like you know the Jam and a lot of the other bands, Purple Hearts, yeah. There
0: was a lot of people playing, having Northern Soul parties in America, or actually all over the world. And I I really respect it because these guys, you know, they came to England, they got unfashionable music from a few years ago that nobody wanted, and they became obsessed with these certain songs and the sound created a sound through listenership and dancing and DJing that was just more a curation. But it yeah. became a genre unto itself. And some of those songs became radio hits when they re-released them in England. You know, songs that Motown, like no one bought 10 years before.
1: Yeah, like they ended up in the in the cutout pen yeah. for like so 10 it's, cents.
0: It's beautiful. And the other thing is that people, the fact that they still do it and that they believe in it. People still, every major, not even major, every town in England has a Northern Soul Party still. And people still get into it and still go. It's a, It's one of those pure traditions like I said it doesn't have to do with marketing it's it's real culture but my problem with it I guess is that um one I I came in through the back door through this from a different perspective and uh because you were in bands and you, know, and you know yeah but I can't make those people usually very happy when they come to the states and they come to the party you know I mean I have a few I own you know a few records on their list and everything but uh sadly what I do is like I said I, I'm trying to create my own tradition right but, uh and I'm going to go over there for the first
1: time in May, and I'm I'm a little. So you're spinning there for the first time in May, and you've spun all over the U.S. I know that. Yeah, You're yeah. one of the most, one of the highest paid, most respected DJs okay. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: I mean, but I've been waiting to go there. I've been offered there for years, but I, I have you kind of have you
1: have you shied away from it for that reason? You just wanted to. Oh yeah, well, I wanted to get. <laughs>
0: I, I I I wanted to know what I was doing more, but more than that, I. Uh, I just realized people get lazy with Europe because they can do it. So you get asked a lot to do stuff. and uh, But I know that if you go to Europe and you already have a name in the United States and you're doing really well, you can go there and actually make a profit instead of getting on. You Because know, some of my mistakes here with the touring circuit was I would hit these towns before it was time, and then you, they don't really let you back in. You have to really prove yourself again. So I thought with Europe it would be better to just wait until like I could really come and make a lot of money, have people really promote my shows, and like you know what I mean, really have my whole thing down. And so last year I was gonna do it. I I had a full
1: tour booked uh, for last February, but um I got run over by a car. But this is what and- I wanted to talk about, <laughs> and I and I can't believe that I've been li- I've really been enjoying what you're having to say, and I've been really engaged and you know and what you're saying. But this story. I have to say right now, this story is one of the most unbelievable stories because it's mind-blowing. You were in Portland, Oregon, okay? And I want you to tell everybody what happened because this, to me, I'm just so grateful and happy to see you here alive and in one piece. And you still got all your facilities, you know, your your thoughts are clear because you— clearly could have died. No. I that, mean, you were sleep, you were, you were sleeping in your hotel room, taking a nap. Tell everybody what happened.
0: Well, no, I'm happy I don't have brain damage. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a little. Yeah, but, uh, but we had that before, right? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> hard to say which, which, you know, it's like the hearing. I can't tell what's from the accident and what was from before, but the brain damage, you know, but, I don't know. But,
1: but, but, but you were literally in Portland. You were getting ready to do a gig that night. You were laying in your hotel room, and a taxi... Crashed through the wall of your hotel room and pinned you under it. Like, I mean, for my for our listeners out there, can you imagine laying in your hotel room? Or and you've heard about this with people's houses before too, where all of a sudden a vehicle comes crashing through their picture window. Tell me about the whole experience.
0: No, it was it was definitely. I I you know I wish I remembered more about it. I mean, were you were you conscious when
1: it, when it came through? Yeah, apparently
0: sleeping? I was awake because um, I I had made some phone calls and I was actually in the middle of doing. I think I was on my computer because I noticed some. Weird things that I started that saved themselves. Like I was actually making, like I found a a promotion for a show I was doing in New York, even though I wouldn't be there. That I would be promoting for someone else. That that I started to type on a Z events. Right. So, (laughs)
1: so at the time, so you were awake. Were you sitting up or were you? No, I was. I
0: think I was in bed with a laptop and and kind of pillows back. Yeah. And yeah, I I think I. Yeah, I. I probably just woke up and got the computer and put it on my chest or what. I don't know. What's up? But, I, yeah, I got a, you know,
1: I don't remember it at all. Um, but this taxi came crashing through, and you were pinned under it. Yeah, yeah. And if it wasn't for, I think, some of the hotel workers and firemen who lifted up the car, you could have been dead. How many bones were broken?
0: Well, I think what happened is the lady who uh, ran over me, and the cab driver, they knew that she was injured, and they came in to help her, but they didn't know anyone was in the room or anything because I was literally under the wheel, you know? and uh, it was like on my chest and so I didn't uh, I came to and I started just you know apparently I, I was <laughs> screaming or whatever like ah, I can't yeah, breathe I or whatever, wouldn't be taking that, that too easily yeah yeah and, uh, and so uh, there so was, a car oh, was like, on
1: top of you but I mean how many broke you, A well, lot the of the thing things is they had
0: to back it up because it was stuck so they they had to get one guy to get in it and back it up and then they had to get these other guys to lift it off of the back of the hotel wall because it to get it off of me so yeah, but yeah, I got. I mean, I I don't know how many broken bones it was, but it was
1: a lot. I mean, I I, m-
0: I had, most of the bones.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but 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 a lot of things. I mean, you were laid up for months after that, weren't you? In the hospital. Yeah, that?
0: yeah. But, but I
1: mean, like, do you do you remember everything that you actually? I mean, there was your pelvis, arms, legs. What were the things? Yeah, I know. Well,
0: I cracked my pelvis, and I you know I had a, broke all the ribs, and uh, you know my lungs were all crushed, and you know you know my my organs were mostly punctured and you know i said cracked my skull in a couple places and uh you know my hands particularly were i had to, i've been i been still working on them but you know it was like a uh the best part i mean i, I was on really <laughs> i came back to the icu because they the doctor told me that when you get better it makes them really happy because they haven't seen they only see you when you're you're at your worst they move you to a real hospital bed once you yeah. come to so it like, makes them happy so I, I i went back there and they were like you don't well, the first thing is funny, they told me, they like, we've had people with the worst injuries, but we haven't had people with so many. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <I laughs> but uh, mean, I'm uh, but, but but they were like, they were really happy, but they're like, you don't remember us, do you? I'm like, no. I'm like, you spent a lot of time with us. I was like, yeah. But they're like, we don't expect it because we have really good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but, that's good. So you know yeah, I, good? I didn't, the worst part, I mean, they just had me on so many drugs that I don't remember and I, I just woke up and after a while-
1: well, you must, Your body must have been in shock too in many ways. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, but, but by the time I woke up, I mean- I had a really weird mix of family and friends there that, and I didn't know really where I was and, and I didn't know what happened. And, and so, you know, I had to, it was kind of, that was my favorite part when I think back at it. Cause it's like those weird film, noirs or something where, you know, you, some guys, knocked you out and then you woke up somewhere and, yeah. <laughs> you know, we woke up and I was like, what are y'all doing here? Where, you know, where am I? And, you know, they had to explain to me everything. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that part was really kind of great, if you think about it. Because, I mean, when I woke up, they're still telling me that you know, I might need to find a, an elevator building, and you know, I mean, it,
1: the amazing thing is you, you know, I, I forgot about the accident on the first part of the interview right. because, I mean, there's no, there's, I don't see anything from it. I mean, you know, you look great. You know, you're complete. You've got everything. I mean, right. it's a miracle. Man. Well, no, I've been
0: busting my ass too. You know, like yeah. the thing is, is people that, don't
1: realize how much uh, you know. Rehab stuff. You have to. Well, do, that right?
0: and I just don't want, man. The, at first, it really touched me that everyone cared, and that it, it made me feel so bad that I made all my friends worried and everything. But you know, after a while, you, what you really want is to have a normal interaction with people, and they're not if,
1: looking at you, going, "Oh, I feel so bad." Yeah,
0: yeah. you and you, you. I mean, I think some people like pity, but me, I just, I could not wait to be treated. I couldn't get wait to get back to work and like get good at what I did again and. You know, everything with the walking, I couldn't wait to walk. Like, I was, every little step of the way, I've been really impatient. And they told me that that's part of, a, like, why I made it through much quicker. I got out of the hospital twice as quick as they thought. I, I got out of rehab, like, almost, like, four times as quick as they thought. Because, I mean, I've been...
1: You worked your ass off, toxic well, yeah, And I
0: just can't, I could not wait. I don't like
1: the hospital. It's mind over matter, too, at that point. Too, I don't. Right?
0: I don't like people taking care of me, and I don't want, you know, I don't like pity. So, I just, like... And I decided when I got here, like, I'm just going to also – I couldn't work as hard when I got home. And I still am just slowly easing into it. But, you know, it's like it's I'm going to do so much stuff because they were telling me, don't work much, make more money. You know, like bands that don't yeah. play much. No, I'm going to work so much that people are going to be sick of me. And I remember one day, like after two months or so, I posted something about tonight, my weekly gig at Home Sweet Home, come by, whatever. And I, it had, like, four likes or something. I was like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Only four? Because it used to be I'd say something like, oh, I'm <laughs> happy to be at home or something. Like, "Yeah, thousand
1: people or whatever. Yeah. Like You know, like, oh. That's but, either, but a lot of your friends came to your, uh, like, p- people put on benefits for your oh, hospital yeah. bills too, right? Tell me about some Everywhere. of the musicians. Yeah,
0: the it was so that. cool. Well, uh, Ty Siegel did one in uh, San Francisco, and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs did. Well, there were a few here. Like, I'd say I have about 10 in New York, different. All the bars I worked at had, like... Nothing. So who
1: played those? It was Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and... Uh, yeah,
0: let's see. Uh, well, there was definitely... The big one here was Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yes, John Spencer, and uh, really, man, I can't believe all the... You know, everyone I know, basically, another one had, a, I guess, Chain in the Gang and Eleanor Friedberger and uh, tons. I mean, like, I don't want to list because there's, like, Lily had 10 friends. that You know, New yeah. Orleans had so many bands want to do it. They had two nights. That's know, great. You like, a Quintron, and Pussycat, and, uh, you know, all this. I mean... Every town, like all my friends from all these years, you know, it was and it was weird because I wasn't conscious during any of this. So, like
1: at this point, you were still unconscious. Oh yeah.
0: Time. How long were you unconscious for? I don't know, like five weeks or so. So
1: you were in a coma, basically a coma for five
0: weeks. Yeah, but they, I mean, they, it wasn't. It, they, they induced it. Cause, it was induced. Because uh, yeah. uh, of so many, the pain. And yeah, I it. had all these tubes. Apparently, like when I wake up, I just tear everything out and yeah, you know, and
1: you'd be like, I want to spin. Come <laughs> <No>. on. <laughs> well, I don't
0: even know about that. Apparently, I was uh, really uh, un comfortable and, and i had uh i think it was called icu psychosis yeah well, hey, so, so they uh they or just when i wake up i just rip everything so they yeah. uh they put me on that michael jackson drug uh, propofol yeah and apparently they said i became the nicest uh
1: <laughs> i had to have a, a surgery done and i was on that and i was like talking to the people and all of a sudden they put that in my arm and it was like dude i was out i mean like there was i was going you liking it though because they said i, I loved it like, <laughs> well, you know, it happened so fast that I don't even remember what it feels except to completely put me to sleep. But imagining the amount of pain you were going through yeah. because of what was done to your body yeah. by that taxi pinning you um, and being on top of you and the tire, I mean, that... You know, I'm, I'm sure, like, the, the threshold going from the pain to the...
0: To yeah, no, no, nah, nah, it's crazy. You know, it's funny, though. You know, I was... For a long time, I was just trying to get away from it. But now I just... <laughs> like, this conversation's great. Like, I, I'm not at all... At this point like i, I used to part of why i also didn't like talking about it is like you know a lot of times you have a moment that you don't want to relive yeah i <laughs> it, understand that and like all these people <laughs> asking you about your least favorite uh, but no <laughs> you know it's so funny it's it's been only a year but i feel so i i feel so many miles away and it feels like a different person was there so yeah was like i mean because it
1: was around it was around uh, january february when it
0: happened yeah well it happened in december and then i i guess i woke up in january and i'm I completed my rehab by May yeah. and came here.
1: Came home yeah. and
0: uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, that was like that. Was, but that, to me, seriously, I have such great memories of it because one thing you never get to do as an adult is uh, progress and monitor your progress. Like when you're in school and everything, you can you get to be a sophomore and a junior, and you get the end of semester, and you get a find you know. But you know, when you're like learning to walk or use your hand or you're learning to do all these things, it's sort of like. And then you finally are allowed. The doctor says you can come home. or What you know, you have things to look forward to and work towards. And I can't begin to tell you how great, particularly coming back to New York. Of all the things, like they wanted to do, people kept telling me they wanted to do an anniversary for my accident. Like, oh, I don't want that. That's yeah. not anniversary. <laughs> Let's do an anniversary for when I came home. For when I, when I came got home, to see it's again. like the, the miracle was, of yeah. coming home and yeah, yeah, living. And I, and, that. and I knew that I knew it was gonna be all right because yeah. that's the moment you know that that's the, that's the stuff you earn. I didn't earn getting run over by a car. I earned, you know, healing up and coming home. Of course you did. And it was the best. Coming back to New York, too, man, you know how it is. Yeah. If New York's your home, I don't know how to say it, but, like, it's so weird to just look in the from the plane and see those buildings and yeah. think, or, you know, those times when you drive back from tour and you're on the Holland Tunnel or something, yeah. and you're waiting in line to get in the tunnel and you see the, the skyscraper. It's so weird to think, home. But seriously, like, no place, like, when you... When you live we're in New Yorker, coming home is so triumphant and epic and warm and uh, it's not like coming back to anywhere
1: else, I think. You know, it's a great city. Yeah. I love it. You know, it's, it's such a such a great place. And you know, I think that's an amazing story, but I, we should talk also before we go, let's talk about the you have what's coming up next are more of, of the soul clap and dance offs, right? Is that the most recent thing you I mean, there's a bunch well, of stuff. Well, you're going we, to Europe. When right? we, we have things?
0: the sixth anniversary soul clap uh it'd be six years we've been doing it like every month except like when i was in the in the hospital and everything and uh yeah and for this one my friend ian spannonius uh he he is an amazing guy he he had a show like this one sort of called soft focus on vice and he he writes books and you know he's sang in nation Ulysses and the makeup and yeah chain of the gang and weird Love war and all, yeah really and one of my all-time inspirations like i said i became a dj partially because of him and yeah. uh, not and as a DJ, he's a great DJ and a great dresser. Yeah. But overall, this really amazing mind. And his second book just came out, and it's called "Supernatural Strategies for Forming a Rock and Roll Band." And what he does is he uh, he has a séance and he contacts like Brian Jones or whoever, and he asks these people from the spirit world, who basically it's pretty funny. Like at first they don't come, but then a few of the really fashionable rock stars do it, and then it becomes like this thing where he can't keep the dead rock stars away. They all want to give their advice about how to start a rock band and all this. (laughs) So, so for, for this one, for the selector, I've decided to get Ian to perform a seance and contact a dead rock star from the spirit world to pick the songs. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, I requested James Brown, but he, he went there and he, he was only able to like Janis Joplin flaked and James Brown didn't return his call. So he, uh, he, Jim Morrison. I mean, which it could be worse. He got Jim Morrison to be the selector. I so, think that'll be cool. So the Lizard King is going to be uh, picking the songs for people to dance to from uh, Beyond the Grave. So it's going to be a good one.
1: That sounds great.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, so that's going to be good. And then you know, I'm doing, I'm shaking all. That. I think I'm in, I'm I'm doing a bunch of South by Southwest parties, and uh, which are going to be really weird um, because I I always they actually they give me my own not just DJ slot, but they give me a. Uh, a night to do my soul clap party we I get all the slots. So I book a couple bands and then I DJ for a while. And one slot is the dance party. Like they, so cool. Like I'm, I, I don't know if it's because I'm from Austin or because it's, That's great. Cause I'm so great. <laughs> but, uh,
1: <laughs> i think it's fantastic
0: yeah but so we're gonna what do, nights are
1: you doing it so uh well
0: we're doing the closing party on sunday which has become a tradition of sorts yeah. are and, you doing
1: anything early in the week too because i knew, yeah yeah i knew about the soul club last year and i couldn't make it well um, i flew out that
0: sunday i'm doing i think i'm gonna i'm gonna do a ton of private parties and then i'm doing uh i'm doing friday night i'm doing my shaking all over set on uh at the panache showcase and uh you know i'm doing i gotta come the vice to party is always i do that every year and uh and Brooklyn Brewery is having me the week before for their inter- – they've had this new weird interactive thing with food and music. And, yeah. Uh, and they're, and I'm doing it a lot of towns with them. It's called Brooklyn Brewery Mash. And,
1: but, uh, Jonathan, I just wanted to say it was great to have you on here. Oh, man, Matt, you know, it's so good to, to finally meet you again
0: and, uh, and sit and uh, – yeah, and to be back at the Viacom building.
1: Yeah, because like you said, you worked here when you were a much younger younger boy.
0: I, yeah, I disassembled uh, mannequins. On Which is such a day. wild thing to do. All alone in a room, putting putting heads in
1: boxes. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a great story. I know. Jonathan, I want to tell everybody, to like look you up online. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way to, to check well, in well, I, I, I have doing? a
0: site called New York Night Train. and uh, But yeah, I'm just easy to find. Just go to a Home Sweet Home on Fridays. In New York City. Uh, yeah.
1: The um, easiest guy to find in, in town. All right, sounds great. Yeah. Jonathan Tobin on the Hivecast, everyone. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield for all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Go to MTVHive.com.